The great miraculous sign of Jonah is not that he survived three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. It's that after being stone cold dead for that long, God brought him out of the state of the dead, put life back in his body, and had the whale spit him back onto the earth and let him accomplish the mission he gave him to preach to the Gentiles in the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. This should not come as a surprise to anyone. We live in a world of swirling ideas and conflicting values, gossip, lies, and half-truths coming at us from every direction. The media, internet, Hollywood, radio, even our phones. It can be difficult to discern what the truth is. And with each passing day, we're losing voices willing to tell it. Welcome to the Chaplain's Chair, a thought-provoking podcast about religion, faith, family, and yes, even some politics sprinkled in from time to time. Chaplain Care is soul care, and caring for your soul starts with telling you the truth. Whether it's our community, our family, our work, our marriages, or even our politics, I've learned the Bible always offers sound guidance, truth, to help us deal with the many storms of life. And from my chaplain's chair, I try to speak the truth to your soul. So let's have a conversation you can relate to. You can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor FM. You can follow it on Facebook and the website, www.thechaplainschair. Greetings and welcome to this episode of The Chaplain's Chair. This podcast is going to be titled Jonah, Jesus, and the Resurrection from the Dead, an Easter message of confidence. It is my Easter message, even though it's a, a little bit too late, but it's it's never too late to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so that's what we're going to do today. Now, most of the time when you hear a sermon on Easter Sunday, you hear about the, the empty tomb, the angel rolling away the stone, the Lord greeting Mary Magdalene in the garden and not knowing at first it was Jesus, how she ran and told the apostles she'd seen the risen Lord and they didn't believe her. Well, we're going to get to that scene toward the end of the podcast for those that look forward to it. But for this episode, I'm going to talk about the resurrection, but we're going to be in the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. Well, why? What is an obscure Old Testament prophet whose book is only four chapters out of 929 chapters in the Bible, which is less than one half of 1% of recorded scripture, what does he have to do with the foundational Christian truth? According to the Apostle Paul, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the universe, the King of Israel, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as he's divinely named in the book of Revelation. Well, let's lay some New Testament foundation first. Now, there are two discourses in the Gospels, one in Luke chapter 11 and one in Matthew chapter 12, and a shorter one in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to call that one I mentioned, perhaps just a reminder of the discourse that took place in chapter 12. When in these portions of Scripture, Jonah is mentioned by Jesus, by name, eight times in six verses. And the Lord Jesus says in those verses that the only sign he's going to give an evil and adulterous generation is the sign of the prophet Jonah. So it's kind of a big deal. And we're going to look at those verses more closely in a little bit, but it's important to mention that before I get into the book of Jonah, which we're going to do right now. And turn with me to the book of Jonah in your own Bible or online, and as usual I'm reading from the King James Version. Now, I'm going to start reading in Jonah chapter 1, and I'm going to read chapter 1 and chapter 2. They're they're fairly short verses, but follow along with me. And then we're going to talk about some background. It says in the book of Jonah, starting in chapter 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. 
But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought, and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And nevertheless the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea was wrought, well, excuse me, for the sea wrought, and was tempestuous against them. And wherefore they cried unto the Lord, and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon an innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. And so they took Jonah up, and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Moving on to chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All the billows and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, to the earth, with her bars, was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now Jonah was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam the second, the second between 793 753 BC somewhere in there you find that in in 2 Kings chapter 14 25 through 27 it says there Jeroboam did evil in the sight of the Lord during his reign so Jonah's a prophet when Israel the northern kingdom is rebelling and doing evil against God influenced by the example of their own king now Jonah's aware of this but God sends Jonah to Nineveh not Samaria in Israel which is the capital of Assyria a Gentile nation to call them to repent of their wickedness. He doesn't tell Jonah to preach to his own nation. Well, why? Well, if we study the time and we study Jonah, we know because God was going to use Assyria as his tool to chastise Israel for their wickedness. But he wants them to repent of their sins first. 
Now Israel falls to Assyria just a few chapters ahead in 2 Kings chapter 17. I invite you to review the historical accounts in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles uh, to get a better perspective on those times. I don't have time to fully get into that here. But Assyria at this time is a world power, and Nineveh its great capital city. As I said earlier, God's going to use Assyria to judge Israel for her sins, but they have to repent first. Now Jonah, a Jew, doesn't want Assyria, a Gentile nation, to conquer Israel, doesn't want this Gentile nation to repent, doesn't want God to show them mercy, and figures somehow that he can thwart God's plan of using Assyria to punish Israel by refusing to go, refusing to follow the will of God. And further, a Jewish prophet in the capital of a Gentile world power is likely to be killed for his message. So let's go back to that portion of the story. We go back and we see that Jonah refused to go and the Lord brings a great storm, placing the ship in peril. So all the men, they get together, they throw the, 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 the ship cargo overboard so they don't sink and, and they start calling on their God for, for help. And they start looking around, who's, who's, who's responsible? They see Jonah's asleep, they wake him up, they tell him to call on his God. They cast lots, which was an old ancient superstition of mariners. If you saw a, a recent movie called Master and Commander, you see that the ship had a run of bad luck. And when this certain sailor decided to kill himself by jumping over the side with a cannonball so he would drown, their bad luck became good luck. And they referenced the story of Jonah as, hey, this is one of those things that, that just happens. There are people that, that bring bad luck upon mariners, and if we get rid of them, that bad luck will go away. So they cast lots, falls on Jonah, but they still row hard, the story says, to try to save his life. And of course, when they see that it's still going to go bad, they throw him overboard, catches up with him. In Jonah 1, 15 to 17, we read the account. It says, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And then the men feared God exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Make a mental note of that. Now that portion of the story is where chapter 1 ends. With, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and where the story connects us to the sign of the prophet Jonah, of which Jesus spoke in Matthew and Luke. For Jesus said, therefore, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. Again, keep that three days and three nights part in the front of your mind. Now as an aside, this little side observation here, much ado has been made in scholarship about what kind of fish swallowed Jonah. Well, I'm going to go with Jesus, and he said whale. Well, that's good enough for me and for this podcast. Well, what kind of whale was it? Well, I don't know for sure, and the Bible doesn't tell us specifically. I can speculate, and I can conjecture, and maybe I'll offer my opinion later. But for now, let's return to the narrative with Jonah in the belly of the whale, the end of chapter 1, which places Jonah right in Jesus' only sign. Now, I'm going to break this down, give some verses and definitions to you, and show what I believe the Scriptures teach that Jesus meant by this. Now, I want us to transition now to chapter 2 and read what it says in verse 1. It says in Jonah 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. So, Jonah is physically inside the fish. But I want you to take notice of something. It says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. Then, when? Let's go back to the end of chapter 1. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Then he prayed unto the Lord his God. 
So Jonah's praying comes three days and three nights later. And it's assumed, perhaps even concluded, that Jonah is alive because he is praying. But let's look even closer at something in verse 2. It says there, And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now in a little bit I'm going to share my understanding and why with with scriptural support of, of what I think the scriptures are telling us is happening here. It's been assumed by many at this point that in the whale's belly that Jonah is conscious and aware, alive even, yet trapped. That the great miracle here in this story is that God preserved Jonah's life while inside the fish. But I'm going to ask you a pointed question. Is he alive? Can a dead man pray? Can a dead man be heard by God? Well, let's lay out those three questions before we continue. The first question, can a dead man be self-aware? Can a dead man pray? And if a dead man can pray, can anyone hear him? Now notice, Jonah is crying out from the belly of hell. Those are Jonah's words, not mine. And it's believed that Jonah wrote this book himself. Now this is starting to get interesting, don't you think? So let's take a close look at the word hell for a minute. The Hebrew word in this text for hell is Sheol. Hebrew, and it means the unseen state, the state of the dead. In the Hebrew lexicons of of Strong's and Young's concordance of Hebrew words, you can look those up yourself. So I think it's fair to conclude that hell in this text is the state of death. Jonah is dead, not alive, in the whale's belly. Now we're going to look a little closer at, at this in a second, so bear with me. Now Webster's English definition of hell agrees with this the place of the dead, or of souls after death, the lower regions, or the grave, called Hebrew Sheol, and by the Greek, Hades. That's how Webster's gives this definition, and he references the Hebrew word, and he references the Greek word. Now, at this point, Jonah's physical state is in the grave, which is in the belly of the whale. His spiritual state, though, is fully conscious in the state of the dead. When you die, your spirit leaves your body behind. Now stay with me. We're going to see the proof in the scriptures here. What do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this truth? Let's consider our questions with with Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31 as our guide. Okay, I'm going to read that for you. We're going to read that in its entirety, and then we're going to go back to this. It says in Luke 16, starting in verse 19 through verse 31, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell... He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send, it, send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So let's look at our first question. Can a dead man be self-aware? And we go back to this story that Jesus told us, and this is not a parable. He uses a name, something he didn't do with parables. I'll go back to the two verses that apply. There's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fed sumptuously every day, and a certain beggar named Lazarus, which laid at his gate full of sores. The beggar desired to be fed with crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, his castoffs, his leftovers, the scraps you give to the dog under the table. And it said, the rich man also died and was buried. Now, I want to point something out. The rich man is dead and in the grave, physically. Spiritually, he's somewhere else. Again, let me reiterate. The rich man also died and was buried in the grave. Let's look at his spirit. But after this, it says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He's self-aware, and he can see. He sees Abraham and Lazarus. They're both in the state of the dead, in Hades in Greek. Now, I want us to point out a similarity in Jonah. It said in Jonah chapter 2, verse 4, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jonah can also see just as the rich man can see. They are both in the state of the dead, in Hades in Greek, but in different sections or compartments where the dead await, one for the wicked, one for the righteous. That's a whole different podcast I'm not getting into today. He cries out in his state of death. Hell, Hades in Greek, and speaks to Abraham. This is a dead man praying. He feels emotion and discomfort, thirst, torment, even concern for his brothers. He even has his memory, but he's dead. He's physically dead. Now, the word Hades in Webster's Dictionary is important also because it's the Greek word for the state of the dead, as I mentioned earlier, used here for hell. Now, that becomes really important here in a little bit. Well, let's go on. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But he's comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. This is a dead man crying out to Father Abraham, who hears him and answers him also. Rich man says, I pray thee therefore, Father, go home to my brothers. I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this. I have five brethren. Testify to them. They'll believe. Abraham says, they have Moses. They have the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they're still alive. The book of Moses is still out there. The book of the prophets is still out there. There are people preaching it. They can listen to that, and that can lead him to repentance. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, there's some similarities between the rich man in, in Luke and in Jonah, and I want to look at those. Both men are in Hades, the state of the dead, Sheol in the Hebrew. Both men are self-aware. Both men cry out in this state. Luke 16, 24 says, And he cried and said, Jonah 2, verse 2 says, And said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Jonah 2, verse 4. Then he said, I am cast out of thy sight. He is in a place where he thinks God cannot see him. 
But he says, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The same way the rich man looked over and saw Abraham and Lazarus. We compare this Jonah being cast out of the sight of God. We recall Jesus himself when he was on the cross saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see the similarities between Jonah and Jesus. Okay, so how do we know that Jonah was dead? Well, Jesus died and was buried. Now let's look at what Jesus said. Let's look at Jonah 2 verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever, yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Compare that with Matthew 12:40. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. For as Jonah, so shall Jesus be in the heart of the earth. And Jesus died on the cross and was buried. It's ridiculous, I think, to suggest that Jonah was not in the same state, dead. Let's look at the word bars. What are those? What does it mean, behind gates or behind a fortress? And that's significant in the revelation of other scripture. And the best interpreter of scripture is scripture itself. So let's take a look. Her bars was about me forever, Jonah said. He did not see an escape. He thought he was going to be here forever. Let's look at Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus speaking to Peter after his great confession. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Revelation 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. The first mention in Scripture, this word bars, is in Deuteronomy 3, verse 5. It says, All these cities were fenced with high walls, gates, and bars, besides unwalled towns a great many. Proverbs 18, 19, A brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Jonah felt trapped here in the grave. He did not think he was going to get out. Psalm 107, 16 says, For he has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Job is, has got a good one. Job 17, verses 13 through 16. If I wait, the grave is mine house, Jonah, uh, excuse me, Job wrote. I've made my bed in the darkness. I've said to corruption, Thou art my father. To the worm thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our rest together is in the dust. Job is clearly referring to death, grave, darkness, corruption, which means decay. He's talking about worms. We have laws today that keeps that from happening to people we inter into the ground, but that is not the case back then. The worms did get to you. They didn't have steel vaults. They didn't bury you in coffins. They didn't have those things. So Job's clearly referring to death when he talks about the grave, darkness, corruption, the decay involving worms, bars, the pit, rest, and dust. Dust shall you, shall you return, the Lord said. Let's look at the word corruption. It says in Jonah 2 verse 6, Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. Well, how does that connect to Jesus? Well, let's look at Psalm 1610. This is a, a psalm used in the book of Acts to reinforce the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Referring to Jesus, Jesus was not left in the grave to see decay, rot, worms, darkness, etc. 
Acts 2.27 is where we find this being discussed. He repeats this psalm, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou these two verses, excuse me, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now these two verses speak of not leaving a body to decay in the earth, but to put life back into it, to resurrect it. The great miraculous sign of Jonah is not that he survived three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. It's that after being stone cold dead for that long, God brought him out of the state of the dead, put life back in his body, and had the whale spit him back onto the earth and let him accomplish the mission he gave him to preach to the Gentiles in the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. This should not come as a surprise to anyone. The Bible in the Old Testament has examples of God raising the dead prior to this one. But as an aside, I firmly believe that a misrepresentation of this account of Jonah is cause for one of the foundational objectives of Jesus not physically being dead in the tomb. That he just swooned and was revived in the coolness of the tomb. And that's a theory offered by some. If Jonah was Jesus' sign, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and Jonah did not die, then Jesus didn't have to be dead. Now, wasn't that a fair conclusion? But if Jonah died and was resurrected by God, and that is Jesus' sign for adulterous and sin, uh, the, the adulterous and evil generation, it takes on much more magnitude and has profound implications for our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches Jesus was dead. It does not teach that he swooned, the same way it does not teach that Jonah was somehow preserved alive in the belly of this fish. But there's something else I want to consider besides the resurrection, I believe, that's reflected in these two examples of Jonah and of Jesus referring to Jonah. And I think it's more than just the resurrection that's a sign here. That's a big one. It's not the only one. We're going to get into that. And I think it's one that also has a future application. I want to move on and let's look at some other similarities with Jesus. It's said in John chapter 7, verse 35, Then said the Jews among themselves, and they're talking about Jesus, after Jesus said, Where I go, you cannot come. And they said, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Keep that in mind. So this is a conversation that they had, and it's an argument about who Jesus was. And there were some that accepted who Jesus was, and there were some that did not. Now there's some sort of dispute about who Jesus was and where he came from and, and what really they were to expect in the Messiah. Those who had accepted that Jesus was the Christ were rebuked by the religious leaders for not understanding the scriptures. Let's look at where it says here in, in John 7, 40 and 41. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard the saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? And it goes on and says in verse 52 of that chapter, They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. But they missed it. They didn't know the scriptures themselves, or they misunderstood what they said. And I want us to read on. I want us to look in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. This is a prophecy of Christ. It says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by way of the sea, beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. This mentions the great light from Galilee. Out of Galilee there did arise a prophet, and it's right in front of their face, but they didn't see it. Now, I want us to look further. It says in Isaiah 49, 6, 
And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also, I'm emphasizing that, I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Isaiah 60 verse 3, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. This says that the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah to Israel, the King of Israel, would also light the way for the Gentiles. We're going to flesh this out in a second. Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. So it was well documented in the Old Testament that a light was coming from the Jews, from Galilee, to show the way of salvation, also emphasize that, under the Gentiles. And this was revealed to Abraham. I really wish I had time to get into all of that. Maybe in another podcast, but I don't. Now let's look closely at the discourses between Jesus and the Jewish leaders over this. Matthew 12, 38-41, Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Let's look at the account in Luke 11, 29-32. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign. This is Jesus talking. And there shall be no sign given it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, keep that in mind, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, one of the signs of Jonah was that the Gentiles repented at his message. Here's a Jewish prophet going to a Gentile capital, and they accepted the message of Jonah and repented. The same as the Gentiles have received and repented of Jesus' message, with Jesus' message. Matthew 16, 1 through 4. It says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now, a few things I want us to notice about these discourses. They asked Jesus for a sign. Now, this is important, and it's not really unfair, because the Jews required a sign. The nation's history was filled with them. Even Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. If we go back to Exodus chapter 4, 28 to 31, Moses has gotten his commission from God and he's gone to tell Aaron about it. It says, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he commanded him. 
And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the light of the people. The Jewish nation began with signs. Signs validated the message of God. But it was God who decided what they would be. God had told them what to look for in the scriptures. So Jesus called them evil and adulterous for seeking after a sign. Well, why would he do that? Because Jesus had given them many. Many they hadn't asked for, but were told to expect in the scriptures, and they'd rejected every one of them. They were demanding a sign that would satisfy them, though they don't really specify what it should be. In Matthew 16, the sign request is a little bit different. It says a sign from heaven. Jesus actually points to signs they see in the heavens to predict the weather and makes comparisons to the signs of the time and the signs of the sky. Jesus had given them signs. And so there was sinful, really, to demand of God anything. So, but nevertheless, Jesus reiterated the sign that God would choose for them, the sign of the prophet Jonah. A resurrection from the dead, the belief and repentance of the Gentiles at the message. Now let's look at it again. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Jonah didn't perform the miracles that Jesus did, so they were greater. The Gentiles had accepted the message of a Jewish prophet and repented. The Jews were rejecting their own prophet, who was greater than Jonah. They rejected Christ as their king. It says in John 19 that the Jews said, We have no king but Caesar, when Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? Now, them observing the repentance of Gentiles around them should have served as a similar to observing the weather. When the Gentiles around you begin to repent, that's a sign from heaven. That's the implication, I think, the teaching here. And I just want to add an observation here. When, when Noah was building the ark and preaching the coming judgment of God and a message to repent, no one believed him either. Now, now can you picture that? Maybe they're sitting on the hillside, maybe they're watching this crazy old man build this large boat and talk about rain, which they'd never seen on the earth up to that point. And then all of a sudden, all these animals start walking in and parading and walking into his ark. How can you not begin to ask yourself if that was some sort of validation that Noah's warning of coming judgment was true? But I digress. I may have to examine that in a future podcast. So Jonah and Jesus, in addition to being Jewish prophets, of course we know Jesus was prophet, priest, and king, they both had messages to carry to the Gentiles. Now let's put that thought aside for just a second and consider why Jesus said the sign of the prophet Jonah would be the only sign God would give an evil and adulterous generation. It was more than just the resurrection. It was the message they both carried. Salvation for the Gentiles, too. And important, or more importantly, that the Gentiles had and would accept it. So that the Gentiles would accept the message and ministry of Jesus Christ was itself a sign of the prophet Jonah, even beyond the sign of the resurrection from the dead. Now, throughout the New Testament, you know, we see this as a truth, the inclusion of the Gentiles in Jesus' ministry. Let's, let's look at Luke 2.32, the prophecy of, of the coming John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. It says, A light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. A light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Two separate groups of people, Gentiles and Jews. 
John 4.22, Jesus said to the woman at the well, You worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Right before he revealed to her for the first time that he was the Messiah. Now the Lord Jesus says that to a Samaritan woman. Why is that important to the story of Jonah? Because Samaritans were half-breed and Gentiles who had intermarried with Assyrians, whose capital was Nineveh, where Jonah was sent to preach. So this encounter with a Samaritan woman was not an insignificant event, and it has ties to the ministry of Jonah and the discourse Jesus had with the Jewish leaders about the sign of Jonah. Let's jump ahead into Acts, long after Jesus has ascended into heaven. It says in Acts chapter 11, verse 1, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And this is something that did not sit well with Jews. There are a lot of arguments in New Testament epistles about what this meant. It didn't sit well with Jonah either. When the Ninevites repented in sackcloth and ashes, it says that, that Jonah was displeased exceedingly, and he was very angry. He even sat outside the city and pouted about it. God had to go rebuke him. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, 45 to 47. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Talking about Jews. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So let's focus now on the resurrection. Resurrection is mentioned 40 times in Scripture. John eleven twenty five says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The New Testament, what was the resurrection meant to do? Let's let the scriptures tell us. And I've heard too many people trivialize the resurrection as, as being not a necessary doctrine that we need to believe. I knew a pastor once who called it a card trick for God. Now, now certainly an omnipotent God has no trouble resurrecting life he created, but I don't know if I'd be as flippant with it as to call it a card trick. Romans 1 verse 4 says, The resurrection declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Christ declared him to be the Son of God. God said, you want to know who I declare to be my Son? He's going to rise from the grave. That's your sign that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, there were witnesses to this. This is not just a story you read on pages and you have to run around looking for validation. It says in Acts 4.33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Confusion? Bone of contention, maybe? It says in Acts 17, Paul was speaking to a bunch of pagans, it says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. It's in Acts 17, 32. Uh, and you see that also in Acts 24, 21. Paul wasn't called to testify about believing in a god, small g. You know, the Romans and the Greeks and the pagans believed in many gods. The Egyptians believed in many gods. He was declaring the god, capital G, capital O, capital D. They thought Paul's God was strange. Well, why? 
well, let's let the Bible tell us. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange God. Strange gods. And then it goes on, I'm going to give a pause here, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. That's why his God was strange, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. There seemingly was no issue with claims of supernatural power in this group. After all, every god, small g in history, has some supposed supernatural ability, according to their adherents. But the resurrection of the dead? That's a whole different ballgame. Buddha's in the grave. Muhammad's in the grave. Confucius is in the grave. You can go visit him. To go back to the beginning, something that I mentioned. To be a Christian, you know, do, do I have to believe someone lived three days and three nights in the belly of a, of a fish or a whale? I had somebody ask me that once. Hey, if I become a Christian, do I have to believe that? Uh, my answer was no, <laughs> because Jonah didn't survive. Now, if you can't believe that God resurrected Jonah, how can you believe that God can raise you? So I would say that, yeah, it's kind of important that you believe that the story of Jonah, because the story of Jonah is the foundation of the resurrection, which we claim to believe. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Well, if I can't believe that God can do this for Jonah, how can I believe that God can do this for me? So the resurrection, what did it mean for us? It means if you die with Christ, you will live with him. It says in Romans 6, verse 5, If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21, it says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And this gives us confidence. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the Lord God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection from the dead. Now that's our hope this Easter season. That's the Easter story. That's our confidence. If you're listening and you don't have that confidence, go to the cross. Confess yourself a sinner and ask the Lord Jesus to shroud you in his righteousness through his forgiveness, through his atoning blood. He will answer the call of all lost sinners who come to him forgive their sins, and grant them eternal life in Him. Have a blessed Resurrection Sunday. Continue to celebrate the Easter season every day. And this is Chaplain Tim signing off. Thanks for stopping by. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Chaplain's Chair. If you enjoy the podcast, I invite you to leave a comment and review on the platform you're listening from, or visit www.thechaplainschair.com and leave a comment there on the Facebook page. And you can help grow this podcast by sharing it with your friends on your favorite social media platforms. And I thank you for your support.